Hey guys, welcome again to another Black Tribe podcast with my beautiful and amazing cohort, Lisa Marie. Say hello, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you again, Major, for that amazing rendition of Back in Black. Hey guys, we're excited today. Uh, we have an amazing special guest, somebody over the last few years that I have personally fallen deeply in love yes. with. His message, his heart, his family. And uh, Michael Derringer is here. He has been with us all week at G42, um, just walking the kids to into what I like to call an impartation into the love of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Michael, the way you bring you know this to your week, what it does every time I watch it, every time with the young people, is that something comes alive in them uh, for the Word. Because you spent so many tens of thousands of hours studying and pressing into and wanting to learn. You know, we, we teach these kids, search the scriptures like you're searching for gold, as the scripture says. And you really bring that. And so, uh, Lisa, yes, I would love for you just to press in with Michael this morning or today and just talk about uh, his family a little bit. And I know you... Loved meeting his wife. and I love her. Yes. She is one of the most amazing, down-to-earth, beautiful women that I've met. I sincerely yes. mean that. I will always want her to come when Michael visits. So when did you two meet? In 1974. 1974. We met on uh, July 10th, 1974, and two months and 10 days later, we were married. So you're pretty wow. sure she was the one. She was, <laughs> I, that, when I first saw her, I said to my best friend, I said, I'm going to marry that woman. And, and now you have how many children, how many grandchildren? Three children and 14 grandchildren. Wow. And uh, it'll be 45 years this uh, September that we've been married. That's exciting. Wow. Yeah. And I did you, were you always in Texas? Yes, we're both native Texans. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> if you mean always, we I pastored a church in Wyoming for nine years, and uh, we were in Colorado for a short amount of time, but okay. back, back in Texas. Yeah, we found out this week we had some potential crossover in Kim, Colorado. Yes. With some people that we both knew from the yes. old days. Really? Yeah, my best friend growing up, Jeff Brown's dad pastored there, and it could have very well been the church that his dad pastored after his dad left. Oh. So incredible, incredible. Yeah. So you've been in Fredericksburg, Texas now with your church. What's your church called again? Journey Church. Journey Church. And um, you're pastoring there. Yes, 31 years. 31 years. Just this past April, 31 years. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, so Michael, take us into a little bit of uh, you have, I mean, we're all sitting here, all three of us, recovering dispensationalists. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We were all raised uh, with dispensationalism, which, again, beautiful, amazing people that have just been passed along this thing, which I found very interesting. I'd love you to speak to just the history because a lot of times when you get into this, and I know I do with, with my own father and other people, mm-hmm. is that uh, they think it's a new revelation of some of what we'll be talking about today. Sure. And it's actually not. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. Dispensationalism was um, probably who's considered the father of dispensationalism is John Nelson Darby. And he uh, began to promote this in the uh, <clears throat> around 1830. And, uh, and when he introduced it, he... he uh, actually knew that it would destroy the hope of the church. He, he actually, in, in one of his opening statements in a conference, he said, I know that I'm taking away the hope of the church. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know that I never, I've not heard you say that before. So yeah. he's starting this thing off and he says, this is going to take away hope. Yeah. But this is how I see it. Sure. And we bought into it. And what year was that? When was that? In- 1830s. And, <clears throat> and it began to be promoted. Uh, it came across the Atlantic 
and uh, C.I. Schofield and uh, Lewis Barry Schaefer picked up on it. And of course, everybody's familiar with the famous C.I. Schofield with Schofield Bible. Yes. And Lewis Barry Schaefer was the one who founded Dallas Theological Seminary. Yes. So um, it began to be promoted widely across the United States. It's more of an American thing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And before the 1830s, for however many years, it wasn't dispensationalism. Right. 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 There was much, uh, much greater hope. There's a great book called The Puritan Hope, which shows historically, especially in the UK, Scotland, uh, how the, the great missionary movements of the 17th century and 18th century. And then in chapter nine of that book, it said the eclipse of the hope. And that was in the 1830s when John Nelson Darby introduced dispensationalism and mission work plummeted in the UK and Scotland. Wow. Wow. So so it's a fairly new belief system compared to what we always believed, yeah. which is amazing to me. Yes. It's overtaken the Church of America sure. for sure in Europe and the way we think and yeah. and the way we present the gospel mm-hmm. to people, mostly out of a fear-based. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And no hope that there's this horrible ending coming. Doom and, so, and bloom. Yeah. What's the point? And, right. But let's back up a little bit. Tell me kind of how you got there. So I know in your teenage years, you were kind of a nerd, right? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> nerd? Still am, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I grew up with the dispensational teaching. I often say that the church I grew up in, uh, the pastor had pretty much two messages uh, on Sunday mornings. It would be, you must be born again, because the assumption is you're going to have some lost people there. Right. Mm-hmm. And Sunday night, you're going to have just the home crowd there, and, and uh, it was Jesus is coming soon. So... I pretty much heard that my entire life growing up, and my dad was very, very much into dispensationalism. And uh, he had all the, he had Clarence Larkin's book called Dispensational Truth, big blue book that had charts in it. I'm about, familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I grew up with that, cut my teeth on it. Uh, my dad and I would sit and talk about it because I was a nerd in the way, it, the, if you're talking about being a Bible nerd, yes, I was a Bible nerd in those days and uh, loved, the, loved the Bible and uh, still do very passionate about it and so yeah that was my that was my beginnings and as a teenager to be honest with you it it just robbed me of hope it robbed me of a future yeah and uh you know when i did meet my wife i had already come to the conclusion that i i just wasn't going to i mean why why have a relationship with a girl you know if if there's no future because you know in those days that was the decade, you know, I graduated high school in 1972. In the 70s was the decade of uh, Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet, yes, best-selling book of the decade. And everybody was reading it, even yes. even uh, people, unchurched people were reading it. Right. And uh, the assumption was, or the, there was an assumption made in that book that, uh, you know, we would probably see the rapture occur sometime in the early 80s. Uh, that was hinted hinted about in that book. So, uh, you know, my thinking was, you know, I won't get married, I won't have children, I won't, you wow. know, I won't do this, I won't do that. And you so, know, Michael, I get that all the time here, and, and maybe at least you can speak to this. Like, I just have a, one of our current interns, he said literally every Sunday morning after church, he would go to his room and ask God to take him to heaven because he didn't want to sin again and go to hell because of that same message that he was hearing every Sunday yeah. morning. And we hear it over. Oh, I grew up that way. Is it, I, I went down to the altar every single Sunday just to keep track, you know, just to make sure I was ahead of my sin. I was real <laughs> nervous by Saturday night. Right. I honestly can't even tell you what I did on Saturday night. I was six years old, but I, <laughs> just to make sure. 
Yeah, you have a story it's of that. Fear. I mean, I, I love the relationship you have with your father. And to say passed just four, what four years ago? No, uh, two, in two thousand. Two thousand. Oh, okay, um, I, that was a brother. I know. So you you had this great relationship, but you've kind of grew up the same way, kind of fearful, not much yeah. hope for the future, not wanting to get right. married. So so when did you start studying and finding hope? Well, I started pastoring when I was twenty. And I resisted teaching on or preaching on the end times because though that's all I knew, somehow it didn't set well with me in my spirit. Yes. And I, I've always wanted to be an honest preacher that I, I wanted yeah. to preach with a clear conscience. And so since I didn't have a, a really good conscience about the whole idea of dispensationalism, there was something that just didn't set well in my spirit. I, I just didn't talk about it. Well, and that real quick, that's the same thing I heard this, all this week is that most of these young people had never heard a message about end times in their churches. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know how to ask their pastors going home what they believe. It was just kind of assumed in church sure. that yeah. this was the way we were going. Sure, so. sure. So, so uh, I started pastoring when I was 20 and, and uh, I, I just... And I would have people ask me, why don't you ever talk about Revelation or the end times? And uh, I, my my stock answer was, well, that doesn't matter. What matters is how we live today. Because I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to preach something that I, I half-heartedly believed, you know. Yes. So it was 1984, um, September 1984. I was uh, reading one morning in my devotions, just, just personal devotions. And... Uh, that morning I was reading from Psalm 110, which says, The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yes. And when I read that, all of a sudden, even though I had read that verse and known that verse for many years, uh, for some reason, it, it just hit me that, you know, until is a time word. And, and what God is saying is, Jesus, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And my dad, my pastor, Hal Lindsey, everybody was telling me prior to that, dispensationalism was saying, no, Jesus is going to have to get up off his throne and come mm -hmm. back and whip the devil for us because we can't do it. And so this verse is saying, no, he's going to sit there until mm. his enemies are made his footstool. And all of a sudden that rocked my world. It just jumped off the page. It, it just it? Yeah. It totally changed everything. It, it, wow. it You know, I had... I had a, a repentance moment, a repentance in the technical meaning of that word means a change of mind. Change of mind, and yes. My mind just flipped around. And and that was the beginning, and, and, and I was clueless about what that meant other than everything I'd been told was a lie. Was was wrong. And so, no, it was a, it was a lie. It was a lie. <laughs> and how, and like, how, how old were you when that happened? 1984. Now you're going to make me do math. Uh I would have been 31 years old. Okay, that's that's the year I graduated from high school. Yeah. So that's what I was asking. So you're around 31. You're you're reading like you do every day. And, yes. and honestly, guys, I I just want to encourage you, the the depthness and the hunger of the Word of God and the way that Michael teaches. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And what I really love, Michael, is you always tell these young people, look, don't ever take my word for it or sure. anyone else's. Sure. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of things to go study. Go study them compared to what you've always been told and maybe read. The generation doesn't read much, so we're trying to encourage them to sure. read. And and then come to your own conclusions with Holy Spirit. Yes. Because most of the people around you are not going to agree with this. Wouldn't, right. you, wouldn't you agree that that Hal Lindsey kind of book just, it really, especially for America, I would think, mm -hmm. it just brought this thing into yeah. chaos. It became pervasive. And really, he's the one that I think popularized 
the rapture, I think prior to that, the rapture was sort of kind of on the mm -hmm. fence. And the dispensationalists didn't really know what they felt about it. I think C.I. Schofield has one footnote about it uh, in First Thessalonians and uh, John Nelson Darby, when someone asked him about it, he said, I don't know what I think about it. So mm -hmm. it was actually Hal Lindsey that kind of put the rapture on the map. And, and, and amazingly, uh, Gary, the rapture, you know, like I said, came, it kind of came into, uh, came, came on the radar in the 70s, and yet it has quickly become the test of orthodoxy. It really you know, has. People say, you don't believe in the rapture? You must right. be, you know, you must not be saved, you know, right. so it, it's, it's strange how I, quickly I, that. It's really funny. I, was, I tell this story. In fact, I told this week to a few of the, of the interns is I was, uh, we took a world race squad. We came back as coaches for the first time after seven years. And we were doing training in Barcelona with this squad. And I'm walking down the street with three of the girls and they all asked me what I thought about the rapture and when it was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And I simply asked them, well, I don't know what you mean. What, where, where do you get that? Where, mm -hmm. where can you show me in scripture about the rapture and what sure. they mean by that? That was it. I yeah. lost relationship with them. Really? They called their parents. Really? They made a website about me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> One of them did. <laughs> because it's such a pervasive it sure is. a test of orthodoxy it really is. for us in America, especially. So 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 let's dive into that just a little bit. I would love so we, we kind of base the rapture off of First Thessalonians. Is that right? We, yeah, we don't think. Do. Oh, right. Well, that's, we're recovered. Uh, uh, yes, uh, yes. That's where the basis comes from. Right, so exactly. speak to that just a little bit. Well, uh, in First Thessalonians, that's where they get the word. That's where they get the word rapture. Because if you get a concordance out, you're not going to find the word rapture in the concordance. Uh, it's from the Latin rapturo, which means caught up. Uh, uh, where it's tra translated, a translation. I think of, I think it's First Thessalonians four seventeen yeah. that says we would be caught up, and that caught up word is uh, Greek is harpazo, and the Latin is rapturo. Mm -hmm. which simply means to be caught up in ecstasy. It can be, it, it can mean all kinds of things, but um, that's where they, they coined the word from the Latin version of that. Um, actually, if you, if you do your homework and you read that very, very carefully, it's talking about the resurrection, not the rapture. And, um, you know, we get into that here at G42 when I teach that. But yeah. Yeah, the, 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 I love how you also teach us, don't just read a scripture, read every word and understand context, every word. Yes. And who are they speaking to? Right, What's exactly. the audience? Exactly. And then what was the point of that audience? Yeah. And, and knowing who we're speaking to. And so. And I'm glad you mentioned that about, about the, you know, the, the way the students, the interns here, um, you know, get into the word during this week. And I love that because I think, I think when you're passionate about something and it becomes contagious. And so I love, I absolutely love the word and spend a lot of time in it. And I think that comes across and I, and then I see the kids getting their Bibles out mm -hmm. and spending time in it. And I love that. And if that's all I can do when I come, <laughs> I, love, I love knowing when I go home, they're going to be in, in their, in their Bibles. Yeah, it really is. When you show the graph of the different versions that mm -hmm. are out there and then, you know, message being at about a third or fourth grade level. Yeah, right. I was always told by my dispensational father that the NIV was the most accurate translation and it's really not. Not really. Which, yeah. which version do you love the most? Oh, I, I uh, read several, but I like the uh, uh, New American Standard Version for its accuracy. English Standard Version is, is a good and uh, new, new Revised Standard Version is decent. Um, some say that I think, I think they say that the English Standard Version is 
is based. Um, I think it's, I think it's based on the New Revised Standard Version, but Holman Christian Standard Bible, um, or some of the better ones. Better ones. And too. and I like the Net Version, New English Translation. Yes. Uh, because um, they have over fifty eight thousand uh, translators notes, meaning the translators will uh, note make a notation when they translate something as to why they translate it this way. And I love that. I love that honesty in the right, translation. Right, they're saying you why they... in a lot of other Yeah, that's really versions. good. And, and I just love the, 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 the Bible that you show these, how many times the Old Testament's quoted in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and then and that you'll find Jesus yes. throughout the whole Bible. I always tell these guys, I think Bill, Bill Johnson coined it, but Jesus is the best theology. Yes. And uh, and so how many times in the, in the is the Old Testament quoted in the New? Is it... Uh, the figure is, I think, about 1,600 is, is one figure I, was, I saw that uh, Old Testament quotes uh, or allusions to the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, there were 354 in Revelation alone, about 16 per chapter. And that's why I tell the, the, the students that, um, you know, in order to really understand the, the book of Revelation, you have to have a good working knowledge of the Old Testament. Yes. Because it uses a lot of Old Testament language. Yes, and that's a, that's a really good setup, Michael. And you, you teach them, read the Bible backwards and find Jesus in everything in the New te- in the Old Testament along with the New Testament. And so, hey, we're going to take a little break. We're going to jump in to hopeful eschatology. What does this actually mean and look like? And then how can we describe it to people and, and actually go study it and find it for ourselves? And so, hey, a little break from one of our G42 staff here. Uh, we'll be right back. Hey, guys, this is Major Step again. I just real quick want to give a big thanks to Michael Derringer for recording this with us. He's a revolutionary thinker to most of us in the ways he sees the end times. Also, if you're listening to this and it's all new and you want to reach out and ask him some questions, you can do that at journeychurch.com. Or even if you hate everything you hear and you want to ask him why he would ever believe such amazing, hope-filled things, you can reach him at journeychurch.com. And one more time for good measure, journeychurch.com. And with that, let's get back to the podcast. everybody thank you major hey welcome back to our podcast uh you know we call it the black tribe podcast because we believe everybody needs to find their tribe we're all one body and one person but you got to find those people that you're going to run with and do life with and study the scriptures with and 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 reverse oppression with and build church with and so uh this is part of our tribe michael derringer's here with us man we're so excited lisa this is somewhat new to you this whole idea of of God's point and hopeful eschatology. What, how's it felt for you in class this week? Well, I actually have always felt this in my heart, but I never had the words for it. So I grew up in a Baptist church. And like I said, I was always concerned I was going to hell. And then I worked for a nonprofit for years and I had to check boxes every time I met with someone. And one of the boxes was, have you explained the salvation plan? And have you explained basically the rapture and, and what's coming? Mm. And the longer I worked there, the more uncomfortable I got with it. Mm. Because I started to realize I don't really believe this, but I knew I'd lose my job if I didn't right. if I didn't keep checking boxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we had the Roman roads, the pamphlets everywhere. And um, but I felt really within my spirit, I did not have one person that I could talk to about this, that this just does I don't really feel like this is God's plan. So how would you explain to someone that maybe starting to feel like 
this thing I've been taught my whole life isn't really setting well with me. How would you explain to them what, what is God's plan for people on the earth? To me, that's that's very easy. And, you know, the theologians nowadays are calling met, uh, talking about meta narrative, you know, the big story, what's the big picture? Yeah. And uh, to me, it's very simple. And, and I've, I often uh, I've told people, I tell, told the students this week that, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go to the end of the Bible to find out how it all ends. God is very clear. He said that he declares the end from the beginning mm. in Isaiah 46, verse 10. So, you know, when you look at the beginning, when you look at God creating and then and then and then planting a garden, calling it his garden, right. it's the garden of God. And then inviting man into the garden, you know, God's point from the very beginning was he wanted to dwell with man. He wanted fellowship with man. And so God's desire is to dwell with man. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that in Genesis three, man fell and there was a an immediate separation. And 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 there's an interesting thing that in the Jewish culture, the Jewish understanding Death is not annihilation, it's separation. Yes. You know, the, the prodigal fun, son's father said, my son was dead, and now he's alive again. Mm. He wasn't mm. really dead, he was separated. Okay. And so there was a disconnect. Adam was disconnected from God when he sinned. And I often uh, say as well that we are more human when we are connected to God. It was God breathing his breath into our nostrils that made us human, that made us who we are. Yes. When we disconnect from God, we diminish our humanity. The closer we come to God, the more human we become. And so after that fall, God then from that point on made it his goal to to reconnect to man. And and that's why as much as people don't like to read Leviticus, I love knowing that Leviticus is is God's attempt to try to make a way for man to come back home. Wow, see, now that truly is a Bible nerd. I mean, yeah. if you love Leviticus, that's a tough one. It's taken a while. That was an evolution. I had to work through that to love it. But when I began to understand that it was God so meticulously working through the process of man coming back home and, and, and providing that opportunity. That's and fascinating. So, yes. And so God says, he says, I want you to make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among you. Mm-hmm. So he was missing that that time that he was had that he had with Adam in the garden in the cool of the yeah, day. In the cool yes. of the day, and and so he said, "Make me a sanctuary because I want to dwell among you." Of course, huh. you know Israel failed again, and then God comes and and the Word becomes flesh. God comes in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. With us yes. And then after Jesus departed, He sent the Holy Spirit, so God could still remain with us. But ultimately, I want to read to read a scripture to you. In the end, when we go to Revelation chapter 21, the next to the last chapter in our Bibles, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Three times. Wow. With you, with you, with you. And that's always been God's plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we find that, that, that ultimately God will accomplish that by dwelling with man. Dwelling with man again. And and I love how you t- talk about when we meet him in the air, that meeting is that we don't meet him in the air and then go with him somewhere. 
we meet him like a, a, we meet a royalty and we bring them bring him in yes. to the gates and yes. into the city mm. yeah yeah and so when we meet him in the air we're going to bring him in t- on back to earth where heaven is yeah the second coming is exactly. going to be well, and, and you know religion human religion is us trying to get up to god god's all, the direction in the bible is always god coming down to us yes. not us going you know the tower of babel is man trying to get up to god's human religion yes and that's not good God is wanting to come down to us. And and again, Adam was wanting to be, even though he's made in the image and likeness of God, the temptation was, yeah, but if you, if you take, uh, if you eat this fruit, you'll really be like God. And so there's, there's still that, that sense that man wants to be like God. And God says, no, I want to be like you. Mm -hmm. And so he took on our flesh and he became (laughs) us. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, I do too. That it just changes everything. And I know we, we'd have a nine-hour podcast here if we got too deep into this, but I do just want to touch on this whole movement towards Israel and and just kind of some thoughts on that, that the dispensationalist and the idea around Israel and, and really coming to this revelation that Jesus is Israel. Jesus took on all of our sin and all of what Israel failed to do, and he became that. Yeah. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Yes, um, that's that's that is a long story, but I'll I'll try to simplify it. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to something. At the end of the Old Testament, uh, almost it's almost like it, it begs for an for an ending that wasn't there. The Old Testament didn't end well. In other words, what next? Right. You know, it's not like a, a good story that you read and you read the end and and you're satisfied. Right. You read the end of the Old Testament and think. What? If it was you a know, movie, we'd be exactly. very disappointed. Yeah, and it's because everything was pointing forward to something. And and in Genesis three fifteen, the the first uh, prophecy, you know, God talks about the seed of the woman, and then he he talks to Abraham. He said, "I'm going to I'm going to give you a seed. The seed is going to be a blessing to the nations." He talks to David about a seed, and then uh, Matthew. Both Matthew and Luke begin with genealogies, but especially Matthew, who connects Jesus to the, you know, Abraham and David and all the, the past to show that there's a connection that Jesus just didn't come, you know, was he wasn't born in a vacuum, right. that he had a long history and the history was the Old Testament, but everything was pointing forward to this coming one, this coming one, this seed who was going to accomplish over everything. and over. And, and over. if Jesus is the seed that Paul said he was, by the way, in Galatians chapter three, he said, he didn't say seeds as as, as many, but he said to thy seed, which is Christ. Yes. And so all these seeds of the Old Testament was pointing to the seed who would finally come, Jesus Christ. And if he is the seed of Abraham, then he is Israel. Yes. And so he accomplishes what Israel failed to do. Jesus did what, you know, Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. Is Jesus a blessing to the nations? Yes. You know, Israel was supposed to be a light to the world. Jesus said, I am the light yes. of the world. So Jesus became Israel and did accomplished for Israel, but also as Israel. As Israel. And took that all on himself for yes. them yes. because of the love he has he for them. He accepted the burden of, of being That's Israel. Really, and I know we could we could dive into that so deep, and, and I love doing that with you. Okay, so we've got this hopeless message that permeates the church. You start studying, you come in, you, you, you study and study and study and teach. You lose some people in your church when you start to get this really in your spirit and you're able, you feel comfortable with purity to start teaching. I love that about you. You won't say anything 
to add to the Word of God, obviously. And so there's not much hope in the church, in America, in Europe, living here. Um, what, what, can you talk to that? I mean, what? I, I do believe that, uh, well, I knew as a, as a young man uh, with the dispensational teaching that it had robbed me of hope. And so mm-hmm. as a pastor of a church, I was realizing that, that church in general, had, the church had lost her hope. And I felt like that it was uh, largely because of bad theology. It's like the, it's like the two men on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' death as they're walking along. And I, I, I just preached on this recently in my church. And the last chapter of Luke, right? I yeah, love, Luke twenty-four. Love it. Yes. And, and 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 you know, I said they weren't walking; they were meandering because they're sad. Mm-hmm. They're they're sad. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you don't walk quickly when you're sad, you 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 just walk and just and, and they're talking along the way. And a stranger walks up. We know him to be Jesus, but they didn't. And and they, I've read some some places that could have been his uncle and aunt. Uh, I think it was Cornelius. Cornelius mm-hmm. It could have been related to Jesus, and they didn't know him. They yeah. didn't recognize sure. him. And and so he he looks at their faces, and there's a Greek word which it's difficult to translate. But their face was forlorn and sad and 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 angry and a lot of emotion in in their in their faces. And Jesus asked them about that. Why are you sad as you walk along the way here? And so they began to tell him the story. Are, are you are you a stranger? You don't know what's happened in Jerusalem. They tell him about the death of Jesus. And then they say, uh, we had hoped that he was the, the one, one to redeem in Israel. But those three words, we had hoped, I thought, describes the American church. We've lost our hope. Yes. We had hoped. We, ha- we have no hope any longer. And, and that's sad to me. And Jesus went on to imply that they had, they didn't have hope because they had bad theology. Yes. Mm. Because he said, you were slow to believe what the prophet spoke. And he said, you should have known this. And he said, it's always been there. Yeah. It's always been there. He said, let me show you. And he began to go through the Old Testament and show what the Old Testament said about him. Yes. And so bad theology will, will, will lead to wrong conclusions, which will cause you to lose your hope lose hope yeah i mean and it's like you said that would be a a, an incredible script to watch in heaven Mm -hmm. but jesus described everything from beginning to end to those those guys walking down the the, the road and just hearing jesus describe his own theology wouldn't you love to sit in on that one (laughs) that's a class i would have liked to sit in on Yeah, yeah so so we so so give us what is the hope? What is the well, hope of the future? What is that? One you? of the one of the favorite verses of of Christians is you know God says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I know the plans I have for you and the plans are for a future and a hope, and and everybody's got everybody that. Everybody quotes that and yes. has it, on their, has it on their walls <laughs> yes. and stuff like yes. that, and yet at the same time we we get hopeless messages, and Paul said in in Romans chapter fifteen verse four. He said the things that were written before, and he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures because he was writing the New Testament as he as he's penning this. He said the things that were written before were written for our instruction that through patience and through uh, that through the patience and through the encouragement of the scriptures you might have hope. Encouragement of the scriptures and through the and I and I tell people all the time. It, it, that that says if we read the scriptures properly, mm. we'll come away with hope. And I said, if you read the Bible and you come away hopeless, read it again because you're not read it right. You right. Know? Somehow we've got to get hope out of the scriptures. And so, f- to me, the hope of of this planet of, of planet Earth 
is the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the waters sea, cover the which sea. is what is promised in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. So that's what we're that's what we focus on is we focus on being being the image of God and taking the glory of God to the four corners of the earth. Wow, and and I love that you taught when they put the the um, the not telescope but the the scope and saw the stars and there's more stars in the sky than sand yeah the grains of sand on the on that's the, just mind-blowing yes. the the hope of god and how beautiful and a and we don't have have a clue yeah you know i know we've only discovered like 30 percent of the ocean and yeah. you know weekly we're finding new animals and new plants and i just don't i don't think we're just getting started yeah and there's so much hope what so so tell us how do we find that hope what does that look like like what does that look like to you in scripture What's the message for the church right now? Um, I'm, What's the message I, for the world? The message for the world? For the world, yeah. Yeah, that there is a king, there's a kingdom. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is a good way to, to, to introduce this, and that is that my dad was a dispensationalist until he died, you know, in 2000. And... Um, when I began to change, I kept—I sort of kept that from him. I was keeping it from everybody, to be honest with you, because I didn't know what I believed. About. He wanted to know what you believed before you started saying yeah, it. When I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When, and when I discovered this in 1984, again, I, I took baby steps for a long, long time. I had no books on it. I just had the Bible and just working my way through it. And so uh, a number of years later, 1998, actually, uh, my mom and dad were visiting us and um, and I was right on the cusp of beginning to feel like I could actually now share this uh, with our church, at least. And so uh, my mom and dad were visiting. My dad was sitting in the front seat. He was driving. My mom was sitting front, up front with him. My wife and I were sitting in the back. My mom made a statement, and I responded to it in a way that I, I felt like, you know, it was one of those times when something comes out of your mouth and you wished it hadn't because I thought, right. okay, now now it's out there. You've just you come know. out of the closet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the closet, eschatologically. Anyway, yes. so here's what happened, you know, and in, in, in my explaining to her some of the the little bits of what I was feeling and in, in talking about kingdom, my dad said <laughs> through gritted teeth, he didn't even turn around and look at me. He just, he said through gritted teeth, he said, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And my response was, we do have a king. Mm. Dad. You have a king. And, and so the dispensationalists believe that Jesus won't be king until the, you know, till he, till the millennial reign of Christ, which is in the future, when he comes and sits on David's throne in Jerusalem. Right. I say he's king now. Yes. And so if he, every king has a kingdom. And so if Jesus is king now, then we have a kingdom. Mm-hmm. Thy kingdom, we're taught to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth right now, right here. All of that is right now. The whole Lord's Prayer is right now. Exactly. Bringing heaven to earth now, living a kingdom life with a king to follow, and and watching the earth fill, like the waters cover Mm -hmm. the sea, fill with the glory and the beauty of God. That, to me, is hopeful. Yes. And that's a point of missions. The 1040 window, you know, we send all these people out all around the world, and most of them think, I just need to get them a ticket out of hell. And what God's saying is, I want you to fill their soul with so much hope and beauty of a life that they had no idea that they could live yes. in this thing called the kingdom of heaven, yes. the kingdom of God. And, and that was the message of the book of Acts. It was Jesus' message. He met Jesus. Theologians will tell you that, that Jesus' most popular message in the Gospels was about the kingdom. Right. Yes. And, the, and the message of the book of Acts was about the kingdom. 
you know, we think the gospel is, you know, you must be born again and, you know, you're a sinner and repeat after me sort of thing. Right. But the message of the book of Acts that the, their, their detractors were saying they're going around talking about another king, not that you can be forgiven of sins. Is that important? Absolutely. But the message of the book of Acts was we have another king now. There is a kingdom mm-hmm. and you need to bow the knee and confess I with your mouth it. that Jesus Christ and, is Lord. And it's what Mark says, Mark 1. I mean, the, the point of the gospel is we have a king and we follow that king and exactly. bring his kingdom to earth now. Exactly. And so, Michael, there's this is amazing, beautiful. Uh, how do people, I know you love to send notes and just help people exercise this and kind of exercise their spirit. What's a good, what's your website at the church? Journeychurch.com. Journeychurch.com. And if you want to, if people want to go there, can they ask for you to email them information. Sure, there'll be email information there. Awesome. So, look, again, we could do this for hours and hours and hours. I would love to do it. We'll we'll bring Michael back in. Hey, Michael, thank you so much. You're welcome. Man, God bless you. Thank you for what you do for the students here, what you do for us. I'm so glad that you and Andrew Shearman have had this relationship for all these years, discussing this kind of thing in Chili's. And then so, (laughs) hey, guys, do not hesitate. If you want to know more on this, you can get us at GaryLisaBlack.com, and we'll connect you to Michael. Uh, we have so many notes and different things that he has and books and theologians that he suggests to study just to come to your own conclusions and just to be hungry and know the word of God. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.